Amen. Do you ever feel like you need a break? <laughs> I know most of you are automatically answering, yes, yes, please. <laughs> Take a second to think about it. When was the last time that you got some decent rest? Even those of you who are retired, are you resting properly? I see some of you on Facebook and you're go, go, go all the time. <laughs> Parents, are you caught up on sleep? <laughs> are you burning the midnight oil after the kids go to bed to get some long overdue chores finished? When is the last time you had a decent rest? Here's another question for you, and you don't have to answer it out loud. What is it that is making you so tired? Is it lack of sleep? Physical exertion, stress, maybe a combination of all three? Is it your schedule that keeps you from resting? A lot of times, we put more on our plate than we can handle. We bite off more than we can chew, both metaphorically and physically speaking. What does your Sabbath rest look like? What was your last vacation like? Did you really unplug from the world and recharge your own batteries? Or did you bring your smartphone and your tablet with you expecting to read and listen to some music and you ended up squashing workplace ants the whole time? These may all be rhetorical questions for you, but I want you to spend the next week considering them. Are you rested? When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. Things in Israel had not been great. God's people had been kicked around for centuries by invader after invader. False messiahs popped up here and there. The Sadducees and the Pharisees are constantly bickering. The tax collectors are making a healthy living, benefiting from the people's oppression by collaborating with their overlords. Things were looking kind of hopeless. But then one day, hope showed up. It started out rather quietly at first. An angel appears to a priest named Zechariah. And he says that he is going to have a son even in his old age and that this son will be the one to prepare the way for the Messiah, the Lord's anointed, the promised one who would save and fix everything. And then an angel appears to Mary and then Joseph explaining that she will bear the son of God, the savior of the world in her womb. And those children are born, first John, and six months later, his cousin, Jesus. A few lowly shepherds are the only ones to hear this most wondrous news ever told. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And there is your Christmas in July. People, fast forward 30 years and hope is starting to get loud. People have been coming out from all over the countryside to hear and be baptized by John in repentance of their sins. Until finally one day John points to the one whose way he was preparing. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Could this be? Could he be the Messiah? He's working all sorts of signs and wonders. This Jesus is doing things that only God can do. 
And just before our reading for this morning from Mark chapter 6, he records the events that we talked about last week, culminating in John the Baptist losing his head for what he taught. Jesus' apostles had just returned from the mission that he had sent them on, healing diseases, casting out demons, preaching, teaching, and calling people to repentance. Not only does Jesus have power and authority, he's able to entrust that very same power to the ones that he sends. So in our reading today, the apostles have returned full of news and weary from their travels. They set out at Jesus' invitation across the lake to find a little rest. Perhaps here Jesus is even taking a moment to deal with the loss of his cousin and his friend, John. But rest is nowhere to be found. By the time they get to where they're going, there's already a crowd there. A hopeless crowd, an aimless crowd. They'd heard about Jesus and the marvelous things that he'd been doing and the things that his disciples were doing and the things that he was teaching, and they wanted it. Rightfully so. Jesus had cast out demons. He'd healed the lame and the blind. By the way, nobody had ever healed someone born blind in all of human history before that. You can scour the Old Testament. There's not a single example of a blind person being healed. There are people raised from the dead. There are lepers healed, all sorts of diseases. Never once has a blind person been healed of their blindness until Jesus. Jesus even raised a little girl from the dead very recently. This Jesus, so they'd heard, has power over life and death and all of creation. Now, plenty of us like to take little trips in the summer hoping for a little rest and relaxation, time to recharge our batteries. But can you imagine leaving for vacation for a little R&R, and by the time you got to your destination, your workplace had showed up at your vacation? Welcome to sunny Las Vegas. The temperature is a dry 105 degrees. Please have your, your reports on my desk by close of business. Thank you for flying Southwest Airlines. Think about the contrast of how Jesus deals with this and the way that his disciples do. Jesus could have been disappointed, too. I mean, after all, he is true man, and he's exhausted. He's mourning. But instead, he has compassion on them. In fact, the Greek word behind this phrase, had compassion on them, is a really fun one, and I derive a lot of great joy and satisfaction out of just attempting to pronounce it. Here it goes. You ready? When Mark says that Jesus had compassion on them, the word is esplunknistheth. <laughs> Meaning that seeing them had moved him from the inside out for their, back, for their benefit. Moved him to action for their benefit. What the literal gist of the word is, is that his guts moved. When Jesus sees people and has compassion on them. He is moved from the inside out to do something about it. It's not just an emotion. It's not just a thought in his head. It's not pity or sorrow. It's compassion. And for compassion for Jesus always means doing something. Instead of just giving them a few nice words or pithy statements, he proceeds to teach them all day. 
to the point that it was getting late. The weary disciples had had enough at this point. Okay, Jesus, wrap it up here. It's getting late, and there's nothing to eat around here. I can see, you know, I've been to, I was told this in seminary. If you're preaching and people check their watch, that's okay. And if they start tapping it to see if it's still working, then you run into trouble. It's a natural human response. Wrap it up, Jesus. It's getting late. We have no food, and we're in the middle of nowhere. But Jesus doesn't give them the human response. He gives them God's response. He demonstrates who God is and how God loves. He says, you take care of them. You give them something to eat. And the disciples who always seem to take everything quite literally remind Jesus that it would cost more than half a year's salary to feed this many people for one meal. What struck me as odd in this text is that the disciples had just returned from their little mission trip of casting out demons, preaching all over the place. They had been witnessing all the things that Jesus could do and moreover the power that Jesus had given to them. You can heal people, you can cast out demons, but you can't make dinner? Oh, I just understood my wife a little bit. Right? <laughs> you can do all these things and you can't do the dishes? <laughs> then again, they're in the middle of the desert. There's no food around. There's nothing in sight. Not many options here. But just remember, when you're going through situations in life like this, not having many options doesn't mean squat to Jesus. He's always going to come through. You make them something to eat. Turns out that somebody had the foresight to pack a lunch. Five little loaves of bread and two fish. And that might be enough for a couple of people. It was probably one person's lunch. But not 5,000 plus families. And there, in this desolate desert place, the good shepherd provides for his sheep. A couple years later, things would be a little bit different. Jesus had again been greeted by crowds and shouts of Hosanna, meaning, Lord, save us now, right when he entered into Jerusalem. But then by Thursday night of that same week, things were about to change. Friday morning, the people would be shouting, these crowds would be screaming, crucify him, crucify him. And even knowing this, Jesus sat down on Thursday night with some loaves of bread again. Only this time it was with the twelve. He says, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. He does the same with the cup. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As God provided manna from heaven for the wandering Israelites, as Jesus fed this enormous crowd with a sack lunch, so does he give to his people his very own body and blood to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of sins. Not only does this meal give to us eternal life, it also never runs out. 100,000 plus Sundays since Jesus' earthly ministry and he still says to his under-shepherds, you give them something to eat. And he says to you, take and eat. This is my body 
Take and drink. This is my blood given for you. I really think that God designed family dinner as a place to go for rest and refreshment. There's nothing quite like sitting down at the dinner table with your family, talking through the events of the day or the previous week. And these days, it has become far too easy to pick something up on the road and eat it in the car or in front of the TV or at your desk. But family dinner is somewhat of an art form, a hidden treasure. I can't help but wondering if it was this meal itself that Jesus set before this crowd of 5,000 families that helped him find the rest that he needed, that he was looking for. He can do anything he wants. So it's highly unlikely that he accidentally preached so long that the people were hungry. I think that Jesus still wants his people, those precious objects of his compassion, to feast together with him. 